we're doing something a little different than we've done traditionally in, in our church uh, this summer. For about 12 weeks, we're doing this thing called the story of God. Not that we don't talk about the story of God, but typically we'll just we'll teach through scripture. If you've been around, we've spent a lot of time just hammering through different books of the Bible, different scripture uh, different scriptures, different letters. Uh, and in, when you do that, you end up pulling out a lot of very important truths. And we're able to um, gain some real insight to doctrine and, and get to know who Jesus was and who God is and, and who Jesus is. And, um, and, and we've typically gone verse by verse, maybe chapter by chapter through different books and uh, one of the things we decided to do this summer was start with this thing called the story of God in which we are working from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through uh, the, the Bible from cover to cover in 12 weeks. Now, that's really hard to do and to cover everything. And so what we're doing is we're looking at it literally in story form. For those of you who have been here every week, you keep having to hear this uh, introduction every week. But we just I think it's really good that we remember that this story that God has, has written and he knows the ending is still being written as it relates to our lives now. And our, our desire is to be able to take these, these um, doctrines. In fact, through this whole story, this framework, we're going to look at about over 40 different specific doctrines that's found throughout Scripture. And we're going to be able to place them into story form so we see how it fits into this bigger story. And, um, you know, we've talked about many different reasons why we might do this. Um, What are some of the reasons? One of the things we're doing is this is we're we're trying to have this each week to be a conversation. And so we'll read a story literally in a story form and then we'll have question and answer. And we'll have a dialogue about what that story is and what we can learn through those stories. Someone tell me or tell each other why, what would be the advantage to learning and, and studying this in this way, in this format, as a story, not just maybe teaching an outline form? Well, what might be an advantage? There's really no wrong answer for this, but what might be an advantage of doing that? One more time. Better understanding, sure. How it all fits together. What else? We have participation. We be, you know, it's really easy sometimes to sit back. Did I miss it? It's easy to sit back and just go blah, 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 blah. Keep talking. When are we? Class. That's what I said. That's what I said he said. Is that not what I said? What I say? Class participation, yes. Which is funny. I'm sorry. I missed it. Where's my coffee? So, yeah, because we, instead of just sitting there going, I can think about anything right now, I might actually be called on, or I might, you know, I, I want to think about this, how it applies, so that I could give a sensible answer back. I think the advantage of that is, is a lot of us have the same questions or even misconceptions about some things in Scripture. We share them, and, and we think we're the only one. But we get to hear, oh, yeah, I mean, I've thought that or I've wondered about that or I've been curious about that. What are some other reasons that we might do that? We tend to remember the story. It becomes more real to us. Actually, most of us are probably not, we, we probably aren't thinkers in, in such a way where we remember outlines as much as we will story. That's the bottom line. Um, I thought it was interesting. I, I saw, and it, this, is, this is kind of paraphrased, but, but the, 
the disciples asked Jesus, why do you always teach in stories? And it wasn't just random. Jesus didn't just teach. He didn't just, hey, let's, I'm going to tell stories so I seem more smart or, or whatever. He, he literally, he said back to me, he says, whenever someone has a ready heart, whenever someone has a ready heart, he says that insight and understanding flow freely when they have a ready heart. And he says, stories create readiness. There's something in stories where if I see a list that completely be about me, somehow I can miss that list. But it's funny, when I hear a story that is nothing about me, I can still find myself in it. Ever go to the movies and all of a sudden you're Terminator, you know? Um, it's really strange. In our nature, there's something about a story where we begin to identify and pull ourselves into that. And it's one of the greatest goals we have during this 12 weeks, which are week five, is to not allow ourselves to learn a truth about God and withdraw ourselves from that story. Because we are a part of that story. And my favorite quote came from a guy named Stephen Shoemaker who wrote a book called God's Stories. And he says, our lives must find their place in some greater story or they will find their place in some lesser story. And God's desire for each one of us is to find our lives in his greater story. Because he knows there's a lesser story to be written. And we write it all the time. And, uh, and so this is our opportunity just for a handful of weeks. We're in week five. Uh, to be able to just go through that. And I've got to be honest with you. I sometimes, I lose it all the time. I forget. I pull something out and I forget this greater, they call it a, this greater, this redemptive arc that is happening because this story is all about God's creation. And at the end, he restores it and he renews it. And he brings to fruition all that he planned to do. All, all that he hoped for, for his creation. And so we need to understand what role the flood had. And we need to understand this pattern of grace and warning and forgiveness that God continues to lay out for us. Because then we can see, you know, what the promises are, what the covenant is today with us, and understand who God is and how he fulfills these things. So we've had uh, four weeks so far. We've, had, we've talked about the beginnings, the first humans, the fall, and the flood. Today we're talking about this promise, this new covenant. In the bulletin, it gives you all the scripture outlines, okay? So that if you want to go back and read the scriptures, the story we're going to read is story form. It's from each of these scriptures. Today's story not only is from Genesis. You see some specifically 11 through 18, 22, 26 through 50, but also Exodus 1. If you want to go back and read this story throughout this week. And then as you prepare each week, you can read ahead because the scriptures are in the bulletin for you. As well. So let's think about, let's recap. Last week we had Father's Day. We met out at Nutty Brown, had a great time together, but it's been a couple weeks since we've gotten into our story. Let's recap a little bit of what we've learned so that we can, we can remember where we are today. So in the beginning, our story, if you remember, started with a God who was there uh, before anything. He was a being who was before our things. That we, we, we know scripture tells us that God is love. That he always does what is good. He's all powerful. He's creator. And that he is holy. And that God created this earth while it was still formless. When he created this earth, we know from scripture that the, the angels rejoiced over his creation and what he had done. And so we know that the angels uh, were his creation even prior to this formless earth that was created. And we know that this one of the angels named Lucifer, which was the bright morning star, that's what Lucifer means 
uh, was jealous that the angels praised God in that way. And he thought, I, I could do that. I could be above God. And so he led a rebellion of one-third of the, all of the angels. And in this rebellion, because of God's holiness and his justice... And this rebellion, which the Bible calls sin, he could not have sin in his presence. And so he, was, he separated Lucifer from him, cast him down to the earth, Scripture tells us, as his punishment, the separation. And we began to learn that the consequence of sin, the result of sin for a holy and just God is separation. So he was cast to the earth that was formless at this time, and he changed his name from Lucifer, which meant bright morning star, to Satan, which means adversary. And then, was that right? Did I hear the bell? Um, thank you. Um, the beginning, the next week, the first humans. We know that he created in the days coming up to the humans, the uh, water and the sky and the light and the days and the birds and the animals and all the plants and the vegetation. And then he, he essentially prepared the earth for humans. And then the humans were literally created in community together of one another male and female were created and it was interesting that through all creation god said let there be let there be let there be and then when he created the first humans he said let us make them in our image something special was happening there right and so he said let us make in our image our being the father son and holy spirit he created humans now, did he create them like him in body, physically? Some of us think he did, but he, what we are creating in his image is in our will, in our desire for will, our soul, our spirit. Even in, in dominion, he, he gave humans rule over, uh, over the earth. And he, he, he gave them everything that we needed to live in the Garden of Eden, gave us everything that we needed. And he planted two trees. Remember, what were the two trees? The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the word knowledge means awareness of good and evil. And he said, you can eat from any tree except for the one of good and evil. And essentially what he was saying is, because here's the deal, I know how to manage good and evil in your life. I promise you, just trust me. We're in perfect fellowship here. We're in perfect relationship here. Don't mess this up because you don't know better than I know. And they walk daily with God is what scripture says. It was a perfect relationship with him. The next week we looked at the fall. And the snake, the serpent came, right, and began to tempt Eve. Do you remember how he tempted her with this apple from the tree of knowledge? Remember? Does anybody remember? How did he tempt her? said, hey, you can, be, you can be like God, power and authority. What other ways? Yeah, that God doesn't want, he's hiding something from you. There's more to know than what he's revealing. You'd be like him. He also, remember the first thing he does, he always does is he twisted God's words, didn't he? Did God really say that? Surely that's not going to happen. He twisted his words, her, uh, God's words, he tempted them with more authority and power. Um, and he tempted their prov- God's provision. It's interesting. It's the same temptation that Jesus was tempted with later. And really, if you think about the temptation that we experience, it's very similar as well. So she fell to it. She ate from the apple. She gave to Adam. And, and so what, what was the first thing that happened? You remember? 
What was the result when they ate the apple? What happened? Their what? Their eyes were opened and they were what? They were ashamed. They realized they were naked, right? And they hid from God. And when God found them and said, what did you do? Even though he knew, what did they, what did they, you remember what they did? They instantly cast blame. Adam blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent. It was never saying, oh, this is wrong, God, this is sin. Forget, hey, I'm glad I never do that. So the result of their sin, as we learned, all the result of sin is what? Separation. And so he separated them, kicked them out of the garden, but he didn't just leave them on their own. He still provided for them and, and provided protection, but the... the The relationship changed. They were out of the garden. They were separated from God because he's holy and they were sinful, right? He even created clothes out of the animal skins for them to wear to cover up their shame. So he still loved them, but there was a separation that happened there. All right? And so then we, we, so we saw the, flaw, the fall, and then the next story we came into was the flood. And so generation after generation, sin continued to dominate and we even saw murder come into the world for the first time. Sin continued to dominate. It was passed on through generation. There was a sin nature. People were born with, where, where little kids, where the second they could speak, they said, mine, you know? No one had to teach them that. There was just this sin that was in, and, and Scripture tells us there a point where God was sorry. He, he regretted creating man. It's important that we know that Scripture says he was, he was, he regretted creating man. That word uh, that phrase regretted doesn't mean, oh, I made a mistake. But instead, it really means, listen, I created this thing knowing this could happen and this is what's happened and I don't, it hurts. This hurts, this stinks, this, that they have to go through this and that this is going on. It's an acknowledgement of what happens or something he created he, and he knew about. But he kind of hit the reset button. And the scripture says he found Noah, who was the only righteous dude. Told him to build a boat. He was going to flood the earth. He did so. And at the end of that, started over with just knowing his family. And he had, when he looked out, remember he looked out at the end of the flood and there was a rainbow. And it represented what? A covenant, a, a, a promise he made to them that he would never do that again. He would never destroy the earth again. And it even says, even though he knew, he knew sin was still there. And he knew there were people, but he was never going to do that again. So that was a promise that he made, they would never destroy the earth, no matter how sinful it became. And here's where we pick up. Let's pray and we'll do this. Father, help us to see this story not just as a story um, to, to make sense of things or, or to be entertained by or to, to tickle our brains and help us to figure out where doctrine fits into this thing. But God, help us to understand your plan for your creation. Help us to see where we, um, where we gain our own desire to sin and our propensity to, to go back to it and, and how that you're still this same God who gives us this promise and makes a covenant with us. Help us to see where we don't trust you, where we should. Help us to know where we, when we question your love that you do love us. Help us to just to see you more clearly through these stories. In Jesus' name. After all God had done for Noah and his family, Noah's descendants took for granted that God had promised to never flood the earth again, and they forgot all about he had spared their family.
Instead, they chose to seek their own way in life. And they began to think their prosperity was due to their own greatness. And they began to worship idols and man-made things instead of God. And they said to each other, let's build a monument to ourselves that reaches to the heavens to show how great we are. This great city. God saw how the people were gathering to honor themselves instead of him. And at that time, everyone on earth spoke the same language. So God gave them different languages to make it harder for them to join together in rebellion. Since they were no longer able to work together, the people scattered according to their languages all over the earth. And a few generations later, God established a new promise with a man named Abram, just as he had done with Noah. This special promise was called a covenant, representing the deepest of all agreements between two individuals. And God told Abram, I want you to leave your country and your family and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you the father of a great nation and famous throughout history. And the entire earth will be blessed through your descendants, through your family. And this was an amazing promise that God was making. He was choosing to bless the entire earth through one family of people. There was just one problem. Abram's wife, Sarai, could not have children. So how would the earth be blessed through their descendants? Not to mention that Abram and Sarai were getting old. Abram was about 75 years old and Sarai about 65 at the time. And many years passed and they still did not have children. And Abram came to God and asked, What good are all your blessings if I don't even have a son? I'm getting old and soon I will have to give all of my inheritance to my servants. And God replied to Abram, No, you will have a son who will inherit everything that I have promised you. Then God brought Abram outside beneath the night sky and told him, Look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that. So many to count, too many to count. And Abram believed God. And God declared him righteous because of his faith. More years passed and Sarai became impatient. So she asked a servant, her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, to be a surrogate mother for her. And Abram agreed with this plan. And Hagar became pregnant and gave birth to a boy named Ishmael. But Hagar and Sarah's relationship became very strained. And Hagar began to despise Sarah. And eventually, Hagar and Ishmael were sent away and not allowed to live with Abram's family. And when Abram was 99, God appeared to him again saying, I am the mighty God. Serve me with your entire life and live purely. I will keep my covenant with you for many generations to come. I am changing your name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Remember this. I will always be your God, and you will always be my people. Then God added, I'm also changing your wife's name to Sarah, which means mother of many nations. Very soon she will be blessed with a son. You are to name this son Isaac. And Abraham wondered, how can I become a father at 100 years old? How can Sarah have a baby when she's almost 90? And they couldn't help but laugh at the thought. And God said to them, why do you laugh? Is anything too hard for me? About a year from now, you'll have a son. And sure enough, a year later, Sarah gave birth to their first son, naming him Isaac, which means laughter. The birth of Isaac was the beginning of God fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham. God desired for Abraham's descendants, called the Hebrews, to be a new kind of people who would show the world what it means to live God's ways. He even gave them a new home called the Promised Land. 
You've heard that story before, right? Maybe some of you, maybe you haven't. As I read the very beginning of this story, I can't help but draw my attention to the fact that after all that they had gone through and all that they had been spared, that Noah's family forgot about God's favor and grace. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that through that story, that they could actually forget that one, that they were chosen and saved and that it just took a hand, however many generations, and they forgot. What does that tell you? What can we learn about that reality? What do we learn about sin? What comes to mind? That it takes away trust? What do you mean? That sin takes away our trust in God and it takes away our faith. Why? Why would it do that? Because it separates us. What else? It, it tells us that sin is ingrained in us, doesn't it? You know, I used to struggle. I, I remember really beginning to understand the theology that goes behind our salvation. And one of the biggest struggles we have is when we think that we can do enough good to overtake our bad. If that were the case, then when we do bad again, it would overtake our good. But the truth is, we have not been separated from God just because of our individual sin. We're born into sin. It's generational sin. All right? And it has become our very nature where we, we keep returning to it. Scripture talks about like a dog back to his vomit. Isn't that gross? Okay, um, so there has to be a bigger solution to that sin problem, right? Than just us doing good enough to earn God's favor because we're separated. And no matter how great the story unfolds, we keep going back. This generation, a generation after generation keeps going back. What else? What, what else does it teach you about sin? Yeah, it's going to sneak up. We forget we become numb to it. I think it's interesting we become numb to it. We don't even realize. I forget that all of these stories are really about me, not just, oh, I did that again. I'm not supposed to do that. Sorry, God. It's really not about that. But it's more about this struggle constantly in my life to choose my will over his, that I know how to handle this more than he does. That is the ultimate, that's the root That's ultimately the root of all this separation, is it not? And when I do that, I'm separated even more, and I have less an ability until God intervenes over and over. How could, but how could they forget? How can you actually forget that? How? They became comfortable, right? I wondered this morning, I was reading this again, I was reading this morning, Maybe, did, is it possible that they just really believed God saying, I'll never destroy you again? Is it possible that our understanding of grace is a warped enough that we just think we're, okay, well, God loves me too much. I'll just do whatever I want. In the end, I'll end up in heaven. I, I wonder, maybe that's not what you meant, but I think there's a similar thread there. We do, we get comfortable with it. We become numb to it. What does that tell us about us? If we could see what God does, we really believe about his, 
who he is and what he does and his promises and all that, what does that tell us about us if we keep returning to it? Think about it. What would that tell us about us? Not just that we're sinful. What does it tell us about our understanding of grace? That what? That maybe we don't believe it. Maybe we just don't fully understand it. Right? I would argue most Christians today don't take enough time to try to really seek an understanding of God's grace and his mercies. I think that's why Jesus kept telling it. I'm not allowed to talk about Jesus yet. By the way, one of the rules on our stories, we're not supposed to deal with what we know in advance. We're supposed to stay on today. So we'll talk about Jesus later on this. But you can see us pointing to him, right? Our theology to understand, misunderstanding of grace. So in the story, in their selfishness, they built a tower. Why? You remember? They were trying to reach the heaven, which represented what? They, they were honoring themselves and their greatness and all this, right? They were trying to honor themselves. What does that tell you about sin's impact on our self-awareness? Again, it blinds us, right? It begins to blind us. What's that? We default to selfishness. We default to um, thinking more highly of ourselves. We default to leaning on our own understanding instead of his and trusting in our own ways instead of his. This is not anything new. You and I, guess what, guys? We're not alone. This has been the struggle of mankind from the beginning. This is why it's so important to understand what God is doing with his covenants, with his, agree- with his agreements as we look at this whole redemptive, redemptive story. So, so how did he respond then? Different languages. He scattered the people. What does that mean? Was God just being mean? When God saw people doing this, building this city with this big tower, and he, he, he scattered them by help, giving them different languages, not able to understand, was he just being mean there? He's just like, you know what? Your project, is that, was that it? What do you think God was doing there? Think about it. Was he giving them a chance to slow down and think about what they were doing? What do you think? He, he, so what does that mean? What, what does this mean? So he's taking something that was meant for complete selfishness and complete whatever and ended up having some different kinds of fruit out of it, right? Stop, think about it, building different communities and different... I look at that and I see something that these people were trying to do. God blew it up. And he was protect. Was he protecting himself? Would they have reached heaven? Mm-mm. What was he doing? Was it possible he was protecting them? He scattered them. I mean, he... I mean, what a, what a storyline that when we have something that we think we're doing and we're building and God tears it down, we just sometimes we just think, man, God can be so mean at times. Why would he do that? We don't even understand what he's doing at times. He I was actually ultimately protecting them. Was he not? All right, so what did God promise to Abram? To make him into a great nation, to bless and protect him. And does anybody catch the new promise? Like in the other ones, there was always promise with, with uh, Adam and Eve and with Noah. There was always promise to, to, to protect the family, to bless them, to make them. In. 
What was the new blessing? Did anybody catch it? What was the new blessing in this agreement? That, that they then would be a blessing to the whole world, to every nation on earth. So that it began with some marching orders and a promise that came with it, right? That's unique. Okay. What do you think Abram's, Abraham's lesson, his, his big lessons were during this story? What would, if you were Abraham, what would you have learned? To be patient. Years and years and years. If God promised you something, and 25 years later, you saw zero result, where would you be? I am constantly reminded with every one of these stories what Genesis talks about, that for the Lord's day is a thousand years and a thousand years a day. One day there's going to be this dimension of understanding that we'll see and we'll go, wow. Wow. The story's not over yet, guys. Whatever promise it is. That's good. What else? He's faithful even when he seems like he's not. That he's going to do what he said he'd do, he will always do. On his timeline, but it will be done. What else? What do you mean trust? He learned to trust him because of those things. Does anybody think it's peculiar that when his wife came to him and said, hey, how about Hagar? He's like, all right. That seemed a little weird. Seemed a lot of weird. What do you think was going through his brain at that time? Well, who suggested it? His wife. There you go. Um, but, 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 I mean... I, I've never made the connection that, that Eve, I, I think that so, someone, so, sometimes people say, well, Eve was tempted first because she was the weaker vessel. But I just think there's a different language and a different temptation for each. There's no, Satan knew if he got Eve, there's no way Adam wasn't going to follow, right? It's almost a strange correlation here as well. I don't know if that's intentional. Because honestly, it's just, I'm just thinking about it right now. But what I do think about as Abraham that kind of weirds me out. What was going through his brain? If I'm him and I did that, I knew that's what I did it, I would go, here's why. Maybe God wants me to do that. Maybe God needs some help. This isn't happening, so God needs some help. Maybe that was, and he justified it in his own mind. Maybe it wasn't, hey, that sounds like a better plan, you know? Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was, this must be what God wants me to do. I'll take it into my own hands. That's my lesson. I got to stop and go, okay, wait, God wants to do this. Is this me or is this him? Is this me or is this him? Can God do that with or without me? Does he need me for this? Where am I? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think scripture really outlines. It doesn't go back and say, here's why he did that, but he did it. But God, whatever it was, God still accredited him as righteous because of his faith. So whatever it was, he still trusted. And all of that, he still trusted God. He knew eventually somehow, whether through his mistake or his trust that it was going to happen. Yeah. And it's hard too because he told him, your wife, Sarah, will have a baby. And he twisted it in his own brain. He believed it was going to happen so much he created his own path. Well, that might be enough to just sit on for a little while. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think so. She said, I wonder if they believed if he could even father me. He said it. He always started with, I'm a hundred. Are you kidding me? Laughable. God, how can that happen? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So did God trust, or did, did Abraham trust God perfectly? I don't think he did. Huh? Yeah. You can't because it's not perfect. Do you ever get down on yourself for not following God perfectly? You ever beat yourself up and sit back and go, I just can't do it. There's no way. I just, one after another, I keep going back to that. I'm just so unworthy. This is just stupid. This is dumb. What am I even trying anymore? God's so displeased with me. And there's a lot of people in this room. Hey, you sit there. And you struggle with that. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he expects persistence. Yeah, and I think that's a journey. Yeah. I think it's a journey to learn persistence and perseverance. And usually when the word knowledge is used in Scripture, it comes from the word that means experience, not brain knowledge. You know, because we've been through and we've learned. Funny thing is, is we learn God's faithfulness, we learn God's faithfulness, we learn God's faithfulness, then we forget it, right? This is this pattern that keeps going. And it's important for us to understand because we're in the middle of a covenant as well that we're going to get to. So we have to file all these away and know the history of this story in order to understand where, where we are today as we get into these next few weeks. Um. I want to close here, and, and then we'll take communion together, and, and uh, we'll wrap up our time. Um, I just keep going back. If I had to wait 25 years for a promise of God to come true, would I wait? Where am I? Where do I trust? Where do I lack? Um, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll close in just a couple songs of worship and uh, a time of communion.